Hola mi gente and welcome to season 2 episode 11. We're here with Hugo Garduno Ortega. He is the founder of Vercor, an agri-fintech in LATAM. But he has a long backstory before that, so we're going to cover that to start with. Hugo, thank you so much for being here with us today. Really appreciate it. No, thank you very much, Gabby. It's such an honor to be part of Clever Hybrids and talking to my Latino fellas in the United States and all around the world. Yeah, definitely going to get some insights from you. Just like we were talking to Mateo a few days ago, you were in the corporate world before you started Vercor. So why did you decide to switch to making a startup? Well, actually, I was not in the corp industry. I've been an entrepreneur since I was like 16 years old. Actually, for the first companies, it was my father who actually was the one who signed everything because I was underage. And one company I was working before was uh, actually in Houston, Texas, a company of my family. It's named uh, Tramites Sin Fronteras. Actually, just to make a little shout out here about them, they help a lot to uh, all immigrants, especially Mexican immigrants in the United States with all the all legal documents that they may need from Mexico for them not to to have to travel to Mexico. I was working with my uncle in the company named GB Global International, which is based in, in the United States. They also have franchises. If there is someone here uh, in, from Spring, Texas, you may hear about Kiosco, a Mexican food uh, franchise is really good. <laughs> I, I recommend it. This other company, part of the holding, which is Tramites Sin Fronteras. I was helping my uncle in, in many, many stuff. I remember I was going to the flea markets to give some brochures to Mexicans living in the United States for them to know our products. And it was really interesting because it was helping our connationals in the United States. Mainly it was hard because they were not trusting us. They were really afraid <laughs> of, of when you talk, speak about lawyers, they really get afraid. What we were trying to do is just to change it a bit and, mm -hmm. and tell them, no, we're your allies. We were trying to help you. If you're illegal, we're not going to deport you. Um, we're going to help you if you need some documents from Mexico. So that was a, the core business of this company. That's how I started in, the, in this entrepreneur. I learned the basics of business. Then I passed to real estate. I, I tried to make a re real estate company as an entrepreneur. I stopped it for a while. I went to study to France. I studied in Strasbourg, in the Ecole Management de Strasbourg, in, in North France, very close to Germany. That's where I met my co-founder, Valentina. Uh, she's Russian. There we were in the European Parliament. It's where we heard all these new trends six years ago about social banks. My major is on finances. My minor is on, on management of portfolios. I'm in the CFA program. I did to the CFA level two, so I'm very focused on finances. This really moved my feelings because I was thinking I can really make a real impact in finances and help people. Usually people think like finances through their lives through all this crisis and corrupt banks. And I think it's time to change a bit of this. So. I came back to Mexico. It was six months for me to finish last semester of university. And I started this other venture, which was a crowdfunding for real estate investment trust. It was based not on commercial developments, but it was more for social inclusion, like building little complexes of houses to, to low-income families. It didn't work exactly how, how I wanted, but I started with Valentina. Uh, she was in Moscow by that time. She came to Mexico to work full-time on this venture. This is where we changed. We realized that giving a person a house is a really secondary thing. What they need is to buy themselves a house. Otherwise, it's just a liability. So we focus in an industry that is really, really important, really strong in all Latin America. And is the agricultural sector. By the fact that it's super strong, it's in stagnation, full stagnation. The industry of agro in Mexico, it moves every year $43 billion. It's just incredible. It's amazing. Then you go to the fields and you see the farmers and you say, where's all this money? Why they're continue um, mm. living like this? 
A farmer in average, they move in cost around $40,000 a year. The thing is that they sell around 50,000 and with this 10,000 of margin is what they have to live through all the year for him and the whole family. But there's $40,000, which is a huge opportunity. No banks, no financial institutions, no one is paying attention to it. So we decided to focus on the agro uh, three years ago. We made market research all around the country. We visited hundreds of farmers. We spoke with tens of financial institutions and with the procurement area of big companies like AB InBev, Heineken, Walmart, and some other companies in, in Mexico that buy directly from the farmers. Even though the farmers in Mexico that are already selling directly to these companies, they don't have enough money to invest more in their fields. Instead of investing $40,000 a year, they should be investing, let's say, $60,000, $70,000, and then they will have incomes of maybe hundreds, so their margins will go bigger. Why? Because if you use good supplies, then your production is going to have better quality. You have better profits of your production. But of course, they don't have money for this. They just have money for next day. They try to go to the banks and ask a loan. Nine out of 10 times, they say no to them. Why they say no to them? Because they don't have all the documents. Because financial institutions, they work like they were working in the 1980s. They have been adapted. It's crazy. It's super traditional. If you go to the fields, you, you, you see that no matter if it's a person of 80 years old, he has on a smartphone and he uses WhatsApp. No one is paying attention to this. So we changed the model, we made it easier. Financial institutions, they ask, for example, outdated financial statements for farmers. It's, it's something really complicated for them, or they ask collaterals, for example, which they don't have. They make it completely impossible for them to get a credit. So that's why they just work with their own resources. We also realize that if we just give the money to the farmers, then due to the lack of financial education, maybe it, it, it just doesn't benefit them because they spend it in something else and and it's just bad for everyone. So yeah, uh, we, we implemented a model of a marketplace where the farmer can buy every single good they need for their production, say agrochemicals, fertilizer, seeds, insurance, uh, machinery, everything with a credit. So this way... We never give the money and cash to the farmers. He never has it. And everything that he gets, he doesn't have to pay for it. Not now, because it's with credit. Everything is through platform. And with this solution, we knock the doors of ABMF in Mexico, Grupo Modelo, Coronavir. Of course, you know it. Everyone knows it. <laughs> we applied for the Hundred Flow Accelerator program. We applied for the first cohort in 2018, and we were selected. They selected only 21 startups among 800 startups in the world that applied to the to, 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 to this accelerator. And we were selected. They gave us a grant. We had mentorship and we had the chance to make a pilot. We had a chance to make a pilot with all the barley farmers in Mexico. That's what we're working today. We passed the acceleration program of Colaborativo in Mexico for social impact startups. Today we're in the Mass Challenge program, which is one of the most important acceleration programs for startups in the world. We've been moving forward, we've been uh, growing as a company. We're really happy, my co-founder and, and, and me, of everything we've built from scratch. Today, we're a team of six people. We work full-time on this and with a lot of passion for what is doing and what we're doing for empowering. The agriculture, as I say, we try to make the agriculture great again. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. It sounds like you're on the right track. We've, I was looking at some of your posts, too, the benefits of doing this cash list you said it's it diminishes the amount of illegal transactions you can see all of the transactions in the database when you see the patterns you're able to better personalize for your clients and lowers the risk of fraud so how have you seen that benefiting the farmers and the actual people who are taking their crops it, Vercor has been around since 2017. So how have you seen it 
slowly building up besides getting all the premios from these startup accelerators. <laughs> yeah, totally. First thing that we've seen is that more than 70% of the farmers that we work with is the first time they get a credit. And if you see the numbers, it's just crazy. They haven't had a credit before and they haven't had the opportunity. What we try to give is a chance for them to grow. This is it. This is giving the, the tools, go on and, and, and grow. You have the chance to do it because no one else is giving you the opportunity. With the cashless platform, what we've been doing is for the farmer, first to, to stick it on the productive means, not to use it in something else. But not only this, we're trying to have them to adopt technology. The farmers, they only use WhatsApp. They have a smartphone, they have internet, uh, but they only use WhatsApp and, and Facebook. They don't use technology for, for, for something else. And they, it can be super beneficial for them. We're showing them that they can get credits, they can buy through their phones, everything that they need. And they don't need to move from their places. They don't need to drive one hour and a half to go buy the fertilizer they need and then go back. We give them to them and everything through their phones. Then overall, the impact of this cashless system, you have a less risk of default because the farmer, instead of having the money, he has a fertilizer. So the, the, the common thing to do is to, to sow, to harvest what he does mm -hmm. with fertilizers in his, in, in his search <laughs> room. Like, Might as well use this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So another one. It's the traceability we give to the companies that buy directly to the farmers. They, it's impossible for them to be tracking exactly what the farmer uses for the product. And for example, let's speak about beer. The beer, it's barley, it's water. Well, it's, it's uh, malt, which is part, part of barley. It's very simple, like very, very specific ingredients. Well, the most important ingredient is the barley, of course, in the water as well, but the barley. What they use for growing the barley that they transform into malt, which fertilizer, which agrochemicals, are they eco-friendly? Are, are there fertilizers with a, with a lot of chemicals that may be bad for the final product, which at the end is a beer that you're going to be drinking? All this traceability, we know exactly what the farmers are buying for the production they will sell to these companies. So this helps for two things, for the company to know everything, to be transparency of the supply chain, but not only this, also for putting quality benchmarks for the farmers, knowing, ah, look, this brand of fertilizer is going to give you better results than this other one. This agrochemical is going to work better for this uh, weather than this other one. So this goes back to the farmer because it gives them insights that yesterday they were not having. They start learning what is going to be better for them, which will represent more efficiency. They're going to spend less and have better results. Not only this, less impact in the, in the environment. Because yes, more expensive products, but that make less harm to the soil. Jean, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for the comment out there. <laughs> I yeah, really appreciate it. Wow, they have been working hard for the farmers. Wonderful work. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but this is amazing. Even um, when you usually hear about farming, you hear about these giant farms that are acres and acres and they're owned by these corporations. And then they work directly with another corporation. You're helping the smaller farms yeah. that are family farms compete with this. So it's, it's totally. really nice to be able to see someone working on that. With Valentina, since she is from Russia and you are Mexican, how did you decide to do this in the Latin American market versus doing it in Eastern Europe or something like that? Yeah, no, so, uh, well, we wanted to start in the Mexican market because as you know, Latin America is, is in terms of profits of money is larger than Eastern Europe. Mexico has uh, 130 million people living here. The GDP of agro in Mexico is $43 billion. There is no country in Eastern Europe that can compare to this. So in terms of business, starting in Latin America makes much more sense that, for example, 
uh, Valentina telling me like, let's start, for example, in Russia or let's start in, in Ukraine, even though they're agricultural countries, the um, development of farmers there in Eastern Europe is still better than here. The need mm -hmm. is, is stronger here. That means the opportunity is larger here, but not only this, Mexico, Colombia, Peru, Ecuador, Argentina, Brazil, uh, all Central American countries, is, even though they're small, they're very strong in agriculture. So we have a huge market from Tijuana to Tierra de Fuego, we can work here. Yeah, it's a big range. Is the market so big because of the climate or what is it that's the differentiator? Sorry, sorry, can you repeat the question again? Yeah, why, why is the Latin market so big on agriculture? Is it because of the climate or another factor? Yeah, well, agriculture is very strong in every country. You have European countries, Western European countries that are very, very strong in agriculture, same Russia, for example is one of their main activities. Agriculture is basic for everyone. You saw this now in the pandemic, everything closed. Uh, now in, in the lockdown, everything was closed except agro. They just continued working. The difference of, of, of Mexican, Latin American farmers against European farmers or American farmers or Canadian farmers is the opportunities. While in these developed countries, they grow here, farmers, they are born in poverty, they grow in poverty, they live in poverty, they die in poverty and they inherit poverty. This is something that we want to change. This is the difference. At the end, in the whole world, agriculture is the basic. Without agriculture, we, the, we wouldn't be here. We will still be moving from place to place without establishing in cities. Uh, so agriculture is basic for the humankind. Of course, one another, another region that will be very important for us that, that has, shows the same problematic as Latin America is Africa. Africa also is very strong in agriculture and they have the same needs and there is the same opportunity. However, of course, since uh, I'm Mexican, it made much more sense to start here. Yeah, that's true. You're seeing a big change from the, the economies of LATAM and Africa, as you said, where they're moving from just providing the beginning of the products, the raw material to saying, you know what, we could actually optimize this. It's from clever hybrids like you that are shaking it up like, hey, guys, we could do something with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally, yeah, yeah. So um, there's a huge opportunity. It's sad, no one says it. And, and you see, for example, when a farmer tries to go and, and ask for a loan, because in Mexico, in Latin America, you have a huge problem of classes. They are up to the bank and the people saying, as a farmer, like, no, send me this one first or something like this. Even though maybe the farmer has much purchasing power than the other one. But just because of looks, just because he's a farmer in Mexico, they already make him less. And we felt this too. For example, all this year we've been trying to raise investment and we knock the doors of every single venture capital fund mainly there in Mexico City. And we received the same answer. Agro, no, I, I don't like it. Like it's not trendy. Uh, it's not sexy. I don't like the agro. Like farmers have electricity. It's a huge <laughs> yeah, it's a huge discrimination against the sector. Because if, if I would arrive there saying I'm a blockchain uh, crypto AI company, they just give you the money. But if you arrive saying like I'm agro and I'm really making a, a smart business model, profitable business model with them and we're really changing lives. They just turn around because they don't want to do anything with agro because they link agro with poverty and, and they say like, no, I don't want to get involved in this. So this problem comes, comes due to this. Everyone makes less of farmers. It's a separated industry that no one wants to take care of. And we need to change this. Everything you ate in the morning, you're going to eat later, even the clothes you're wearing, it's cotton. It was sold. It comes from the fields and we have to give back the importance to them. Yeah, definitely underappreciated, but. You're on yeah. the right track with agriculture and logistics. Those are the two industries that really need to be shaken up right now. 
totally. Yeah. How does Vercor work? You've mentioned the cashless system. Is it in the marketplace? Is it solely through an app or do you have some type of consultation service? Do they have to log into a website? How does it work? The app is the same as a website. Actually, now the website is under construction. The latest platform, we were working with only with mobile versions. We noticed that the primary for uploading documents, they wanted it to be in the computer. So today our engineers are working in the web platform. It's going to be probably ready in a couple of weeks. How is the channels? Of course, we prefer it to be through the app because it gives us more insights of what the farmer is checking, what the farmer does, what the farmer wants. But we noticed that there's a learning curve that uh, the farmer prefers to speak to you either by phone or by WhatsApp. So we're also developing a WhatsApp bot that can attend the farmers and push them to use the, the app because it will be easier for them and it's going to be easier for us. How it works, we work under a B2B2C model. We don't work with all the farmers, at least not right now. Our aim is to be able to do it. But how we work now with the beginning, we work with big companies, Heineken, Walmart, Bimbo, for example. We go to the farmers that sell to this company. In Mexico, it's been already 15, uh, 16 years that the intermediaries are gone. The companies are trying to buy directly to small farmers. You know, mm -hmm. this helps a bit, but it's not a huge effect. Why? Because they don't have money to invest. So the farmer, they just deliver the same every year. So they're just in a stagnation. So we enter through the company to the small and medium farmers. We make all the marketing implementation with them. We tell the farmer, okay, if you want a credit, perfect. Just register, share me some information. Share with me some personal documents. We have an alternative credit criteria, which gives us 50 indicators of, about the farmers. We measure this, we measure the risk, we give them the credit, we finance around $300 per hectare, which is like $300 per square kilometer. I'm sorry, I don't know how many acres is this. <laughs> we use a metric system here in Mexico. We give $300 for every square kilometer the farmer is, is sowing, but we don't give him the money. We tell him, okay, first of all, we're going to pay uh, your insurance because it's very important you have an insurance. Right. Right? Because otherwise you can, or you can lose everything. The insurance, let's say $45. Then you're going to pay your seeds. The seeds are around $55. So there we have already $100 he used. He has $200 left. And these $200, you can buy agrochemicals. Here you have the catalog. You just place the order. And in less than a week, you already have all these uh, products. You have them in your place. And you place it through their phone. Now, at the end, for paying back, what we do, we give him $300. He's going to sell, let's say, $500 of barley to the, to the company. So he goes, he sells the $500 to the company, and the company says, okay, fine, but you owe to Vericor $300. So the company pays as far as the debt of the farmer, and he gives the rest to the, to the farmer. We learned that a farmer investing 30% more in supplies for their fields means that they can double the profits per square kilometer per, because wow. it's better, better quality production. Instead of having also three tons per hectare, they can even reach six tons per hectare. So it doubles their, their income just for investing a bit more. This is our help trying to get them to have these little bit more that they can invest more in their fields in better quality products. So the impact is immediate almost. I mean, well, not immediate, but it takes only one cycle for you to start seeing the results, the impact uh, that we have on the farmers and their lives. That's crazy. Extra 30% investment, 200% the yield. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Mm. I know. I know. Yeah, it's just that little push that they need. Um, exactly. Let me, let me see here. But with what you're doing there, what are the main crops that you're working with? You mentioned barley. What are the other crops? Today we're only working with barley. We're only working with ABMBF, but we're trying to raise investment. Why? Because one of our aims, our goals, is to replicate this model with any other companies. Let's say, for example, 
with Walmart and start entering to fruits and vegetables, some of these Mexican shops, and enter to all these supply chains. Today, we cannot do it. Why? Because we need investment for growing one team, customer care service, and second, investment more in technology because our app is not fully automized. It's like in this cartoon, The Flintstones. The farmer mm. thinks everything is automatic, but we're doing everything by hand. We are very lean in this way. The company is based on the lean methodology. We know exactly now which features the app needs for the farmer. The aim is to replicate this with farmers, not only of barley, but of every single crop that you may imagine. That's amazing. What else has been making it more difficult to get funding besides people's view of farming in general? Well, the situation right now, we were living one of the worst economic crises. Everything was in lockdown. At least Mexican funds right now, they're not investing. So this is one of the reasons we started raising investment at the beginning of this year. We were having follow-ups in March, but sadly in March, everything closed. It was literally like six, seven months that everything was dead. Today, right. it's reactivating and we have good leads of angel investors. But that was one of the main reasons it was hard for us. How do you get cash flow from the company? Like you have the money that is paid out to the farmer, then they pay it back. Are, you, are there any other things you use to generate cash yeah. flow? Yeah, the farmer pays for a few interest rate, which goes directly to the funders. Where we earn the money, from every time the farmer uses the credit line, we charge him the 2% usage which is a market rate because now in Mexico, the market rate is like 3.5%. Since we manage all the distribution of all the supplies, we charge the seed suppliers, we charge the insurance company, we charge the agrochemicals company and all these people, why? For, because of the marketplace. If you sell something in Amazon, Amazon charge the seller, not the buyer. So that's how we make money. We, we, we charge somewhere else for the benefit to be to the farmer. Oh, okay. That's nice. So, yeah, they can keep focusing on what they're trying to do. It's yeah. a nice model. With your six-person team, how do you break down the roles of each person? You have you and Valentina, and then you do you have coders? What's everybody's function? Yeah, we have a CTO. He's also based in Moscow. He's, uh, he's Russian, uh, Maxim. Uh, he's the coder. Uh, we have a CMO, Aaron. Uh, he's uh, marketing, everything of sales and customer care with farmers. We have a sales director, which works together with Maxim. We have procurement a guy which is in charge of all distribution of all the agrochemicals. His name is Marco. He's also a farmer, by the way. I am the CEO. Valentina is the COO. Practically, Valentina makes sure that everything internally works fine. And I make sure that we can expand. Valentina is more based on the mission and much more based on the vision of the company. That's how we split the jobs. All right. That's a nice way to define it. When you have a team that's spread out like that, that you're, some of you are in Mexico and some of you are in Russia, how do you handle meeting times and making sure everybody's on the same page? Yeah, no, <laughs> good, good question. Actually, the only person now it's not based in Mexico is Maxim, since he is a tech guy. Well, he's going to be all time in the computer. He's just going to give results. So that's good. Okay. Yeah. You can just let him do his thing over there. With your background in finance and studying to be a CFA, what have you noticed is the importance of social enterprises in this new economy that we're experiencing right now? Well, this has to be the future. This is a really good topic for actually for my co-founder. She's really into this uh, social enterprise topics. I will keep with one. She usually says a company that makes money, it's, it's a good, a company that makes money and then help like philanthropy. That's very good. But a company that makes money while helping, like helping is the business model. That's the future that the world needs because it's mm -hmm. going to build a much more sustainable environment for everyone. At the end, it's a win-win for everyone. 
we make a good business, a profitable business. We help the farmer. The companies as well, they're ben- they benefit. Why? Because they get better quality production. At the end, it's a win-win-win for everyone. And that's what the world needs. Not only this, this era of companies that take advantage, because that's what they were doing, exploiting. Mm-hmm. And not only people, but resources, I think that it is gone because it wasn't sustainable. Because at the end, what do you prefer? Um, taking a lot of money from a client and finish him or taking a few, make him grow so you can keep going. At the end, you win, he wins, everyone wins. That's the importance of social enterprise right now. Oh, that's an amazing way to explain it. Win, win, win. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. And we already seen how much English has been helping you, but... Looking back at it, it helps you to meet Valentina. It helps you to study in France. What else is it helping you do with your social enterprise right now or in your life too? Well, thanks to God, my parents had the the chance to pay me a private education in in Mexico. I had the chance to study very good university, very good schools. Learning English first gave me the chance to meet my co-founder because without us being together, we, we wouldn't be able to make the business. Gave me the chance to travel, to study abroad. And that opens completely the mind. Another thing that helped me a lot was the support to family and friends. Like, uh, go on, you can do it. And I thank God. I'm, I'm Catholic and I've been very blessed. I feel very blessed. And I think that I have to pay back something to the, the world for all the blessings I've, I've received through all my life. We've been lucky. We started a business. i uh, lucky. We, we closed a very big client that opened up, up a lot of, of doors. One of the main triggers allow us to continue in this it's been the persistence of Valentin and mine being an entrepreneur is not easy especially mm-hmm. when we're this young especially in this uh, world economical crisis we believe in our dream and we know that it is going to work out so <laughs> i will say that those are the main ingredients for reaching the point of where we're standing today yeah that's true backtracking a little bit and you mentioned you were working with your dad and your uncle that's amazing because not everybody has that. I worked with my dad too and my grandparents. <laughs> so that helped me as well to be like, I can do this. Yeah, like, totally. What, what can someone do who maybe didn't have that advantage? How can they overcome that? I, I think it helps, but it's not super necessary. At the end, it's more about you. It's more like you living in your dreams and you knowing what that you are doing will transcend society. The fact that if you worked or didn't work with your family, it's just secondary thing. The main thing and the primary thing is what you feel and what you believe. Nice. Internal motivation first. I like that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Hugo. And where can people get in touch with you? We can follow Hugo's company on Instagram at Vercor, V-E-R-Q-O-R. Where else can they get in touch with you personally or Valentina? Here's some more insights. Yeah, totally. First, through Instagram, you can get in touch with all the team. As you know, we're a startup, so everyone can have access to Instagram. You can find us with Vercore in Facebook, just like this Vercore. And Twitter as well is at Vercore. We're in the LinkedIn as well. At Vercore is good to have a very <laughs> weird name because <laughs> all the usernames are, are available. <laughs> you can enter to Vercore.com and there you can fill out the contact forms and gladly I will reach back to you. And you can also write us uh, to Ola at Vercore.com or contact at Vercore.com, whatever you prefer. I like Ola better. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs>
for those of you out there that are like, hmm, I see now that the business English might be something that I need to invest in. Just like we heard from Google, the 30% increase can lead to double the yield. Think about what your English could do for your company or for your future plans. If you have any questions about that, feel free to check with us on cleverhybrids.com or we're also on Instagram at cleverhybrids. Keep it simple. <laughs> Thank you very much. And Kira, I would like to make a shout out. I had the chance to um, be many summers in, in Houston with my family. They moved there like 15 years ago. I was I had the chance to study uh, through all my school years, bilingual schools. But one key of success that you need nowadays is the language for making business, it's basic, it's a must. No matter if you make business Russian, no matter if I want to make business in Africa, no matter where I want to make business, English is a universal language. Everyone should speak it. It's one main key to for your success in every single way is for you to learn English. I really recommend Clever Hybrids. Check on your courses. And of course, uh, as soon as I start growing my team, Berker is going to be sending them to, to Clever Hybrids. I appreciate the shout out. And thank you guys. Until next time, learn by doing and asking. Hasta pronto. Ciao.